you know, life is, is it's full of like these ups and downs all the time. And here's one of the things that I've realized that whether someone has a lot of money or someone has a little bit of money, whatever neighborhood one grew up in, whatever background, ethnic background someone comes from, every single one of us, we go through these ups and downs of life. I mean, even just today, as we start this service, we're talking about a conflict and war and refugees, um, bloodshed that's happening in the Middle East right now. And yet at the same time, today is also a day of incredible celebration because we're going to be celebrating Denise and her making this commitment of baptism. Right? And so here's what happens in life. Like life is full of both beauty and disappointment. And one of the questions that I think I've always wrestled with, and I'm sure you've probably wrestled with at some point as well, is what do we do with a life that's full of both beauty and disappointment? Do we lean into one or the other? How do we live in this tension? This is not just a question that Christians face, but it's a question that even non-Christians face. Every single human being, because what it means to be human, every, any human beings here today? All right, just, just 10 of you, it looks like. Um, because what it means to be a human being is that this is what we go through. We go through life's beauty and disappointment. We wonder what to do with that. Now, here's what's so crazy is that today, in today's world, we live in the most technologically advanced, arguably the wealthiest city in the history of the world. I mean, if you think about that, New York City. Now, if you think about it, there's been so much innovation and advancement. The promises that somehow that better technology more money, more wealth will somehow heal the world's problems has been offered to us. But the reality is more people today are more divided than ever. The Jets continue to not win Super Bowls. Like, we, some of you are like, yeah, forget about all the wars. Some of you, yeah, the Jets, you know, like. We live in a world, though, with all the promises of how advanced the world becomes, Yet we live in a world that is still as polarized, divided as ever. Here's a quote in the 19th century, Henry David Thoreau, who's a transcendentalist philosopher. Look at what he writes about the experience that we have as human beings. He says, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. This quiet desperation. I mean, isn't that quiet desperation? That's often what leads me to make poor choices with my life. When it comes to making decisions about whatever uh, decisions of acting in ways that are untoward towards my wife, or ways that are not loving towards my children, or ways that I tend to be selfish when it comes to the things that I have. Maybe it's led for some of us to make decisions that we regret when it comes to using, to addictions. It's this quiet desperation. It's this wondering, what do I do? How do I make sense of life to live between the beauty and disappointment? Uh, you know what's interesting is there's a book that was written by this guy named Ray Johnston. Ray Johnston was a pastor of a large church. He also led a massive humanitarian organization that would raise millions of dollars to serve the needs of those around him. So he wrote a book called Hope Quotient. And in this book called Hope Quotient, it actually starts with, where was this book born? His daughter was taking a class in university on leadership. And so in this class on leadership, she was asked to uh, interview the best leader that she knows. And she chose her dad. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I mean, wouldn't you all want that? I mean, I hope my daughter one day. So she interviews her dad. And here's the question that she, she starts with. She says, dad, of all the things that you do as a leader, you speak in front of thousands of people, you mobilize all these resources. What is the most important thing that you do? 
So he paused for a moment. Now, here's what she was expecting him to say. She was expecting, oh, what I do is I, I spend copious amounts of time learning and reading and strategizing. I spend tons of time mobilizing people, inspiring them, getting them hyped to take on the world. But actually, this is what he said. He said, the most important thing of all the things that I do, the most important thing I do is stay encouraged. Is staying encouraged. And this is why he said that, because he said, of everything that I do, whenever I approach life, once I start getting discouraged, once I start losing hope, which is where the title Hope Quotient came from, I've really lost everything. Once I go down this downward spiral, and I don't know if it's been like this for you, but I know that in my own life, once I start losing hope, once I start getting discouraged, and once I start wallowing in that place, I become an awful person to be around. <laughs> people get, I'll, I'll get more irritable with people, and my wife will tell me, you need to take a nap, or you need to just eat some food, or do something, because right now you are hangry, uh, right? Because what happens when we start to lose hope? We lose courage, and we lose hopefulness. Now, in this book, Hope Quotient, one of the things he says is the most important thing that we can do in life, whether you're a parent, whether you're married, whether you're single, whatever station in life is to be able to continue to remain hopeful. Uh, he talks about how therapists, for instance, they talk about how marriages, oftentimes what happens in a marriage is once a marriage start losing, losing hope, it's usually the beginning of the end. But if there's a small kernel of hope, this small kernel of like, we're going to make it to the next thing, there's actually this opportunity to get past it. Now, here's what's so crazy about this thing called hope, though, as Christians. Because did you know that the early church, the message of Jesus, it was much different than the message uh, or the context that we see today. Because the message of Jesus, Jesus was like this no-name carpenter who was Jewish, which was an oppressed people group in the shadows of Rome. Rome had all the power, all the money, all the military strength. And here was this little movement that was being started by Jesus, who's a carpenter. If you could almost imagine the United States with all of its military strength and influence, and let's just say like a, a country like Nepal, like this small little country, like there's a peasant farmer in Nepal who claims to be the son of God. Now, in some ways, this is basically what the story of Jesus was like. He was this no-name, small-town Jewish carpenter from Staten Island. You know, like, no one respects Staten Island. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, right? Like, sorry, anyone from Staten Island? No, don't, don't, don't share. But this is who Jesus was. He was this no-name person. But you could imagine in the shadow of Rome, so back then, Caesar was the one with all the power. And so constantly, the people of Rome, they would be told to say, Caesar is Lord. Say, Caesar is Lord. And the early Christians, they were like, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. And they're like, who's Jesus? A carpenter? Are you serious? Who was executed on a cross? Are you serious? Now, that's the world that the early Christians inhabited. Now, Rome, with all of its military strength, what they could do to these early Christians was basically, yeah, you say Jesus is Lord, let's just kill you right now. Let's kill your family. So you could imagine that the early Christians, it was against all odds. They had no social capital. They had no power on their own. And yet, check out this chart. Look at this chart. Because in this chart, here's one of the things that you might notice. In the year 40 AD, Jesus resurrects from the grave. 
And historians estimate that the number of Christians was maybe a thousand people. In AD 60, the emperor Nero, he starts this whole kind of persecution, blaming Christians for a fire that would ravage through Rome. And so Christians now start to die for their faith. They're dying for their faith. And look at what happens. Even in the midst of them being persecuted, by 100 AD, the number actually increases to 7,000 to 10,000 Christians. Persecution ramps up even more over the next few centuries. Marcus Aurelius and other emperors would grow and they would start persecuting Christians. And they would say the same thing, Christians, you better say Caesar is Lord. And they'd be like, no, 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 we believe Jesus is Lord. And they say, okay, then you're gonna die and your, your families are also gonna die. So even more persecution comes. Now here's what's so crazy. After until 200 AD, the number increases even more to 200,000. Now in the fourth century, 300 AD, some of the greatest persecution to the early, early church would then take place. An emperor named Decius would again bring even more persecution. Christians are dying at the stake for their faith. Their families are also being threatened. Now, looking back, I mean, if I were back in those times and I were going to die for it, I'd be like, I don't know if Caesar is Lord. I mean, every cowardly part of me would start. Now, here's what happens, though. Persecution increases over the next century until the great persecution at the end of the fourth century by a guy named Diocletius. Now, here's what happens. Even then, Look how much the Christian population increases. It goes to five to six million people at this point. Now, here's a question I'd like to ask you. How in the world did this happen? These Christians had nothing, no money, no power, no military strength. And yet somehow this movement grows. Check out what Peter, who's an apostle, the Apostle Peter, he writes to the church in Asia Minor to a group of Christians who are struggling. Look at how crazy Peter is. Look at what he writes. He says, praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Can I hear you say living hope? That's right, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In all this, you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. Are you crazy, Peter? We're suffering here for our faith and you're telling us to greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What is going on? Why in the world would Simon Peter say these words? Living hope? People are dying for their faith, dude. What's, i sorry, I said dude. I don't know where that came from. But <laughs> what is going on? Now, here's what's even crazier about the story of Peter. You may know this before. Simon Peter, he was one of Jesus' chosen disciples. He was actually a fisherman before he became a disciple. Jesus chose him 
even though he was a nobody as well. And so as a result, Simon Peter, he got pretty proud of himself, you know? He was like, yo, Jesus is the one that I follow. Jesus, this miracle worker. And so here's what happens to Simon Peter in his life. And you may or may not know this before. He's actually filled with so much bravado and pride. It's like he's from Brooklyn, you know? Like, check this out. Look at, look at what, there's this episode when Jesus is predicting his death. He's telling his disciples that he's going to die. And look at how Peter responds. Check this out. It says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, Jesus, I will not. I mean, do you see Peter's like pride here? He's basically telling Jesus, you're wrong, Jesus. All these other cats from Queens and from, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm not going to fall away. All these guys, whatever. And look at what he says. Jesus answers and says to him, truly, I tell you today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. <laughs> look at what Peter does. Peter insisted emphatically, Jesus, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Look at what he says. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Peter's basically rebuking Jesus, saying, Jesus, you have no idea what you're talking about. I am never, even if I have to die for you, I would never betray you, you know? <laughs> he is so proud. A few verses later. You know the story. Look at what happens. A few verses later. While Peter was below in the courtyard, Jesus had gotten arrested. And look at what it says. One of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked close at it. You also were with that Nazarene who was just arrested, weren't you? Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them for sure. The second time, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. We can hear it in your accent, homie. And look, he began to call down curses, and he swore to them. He's definitely from Brooklyn. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down. And he wept. Here's a guy who has the audacity to rebuke Jesus. Be like, Jesus, you have no idea what you're talking about. Even if everyone else falls away, I will not. <laughs> and a few verses later, broken by his own shame, he weeps bitterly. Now, you've probably heard the story of Peter. You know this is not the end of the story. Because Jesus would actually die and he'd resurrect from the grave. Now, check out the difference, though, 
between this Peter who is broken by his own shame, a sense of hopelessness, to now all of a sudden, in the book of Acts, which is a historical account of the person of Jesus, check out how Peter is so different. Acts chapter 4, look at what it says. Peter and John, the disciples, they begin to preach the gospel to these people, telling them about Jesus. Even though everyone says, you're crazy. What do you mean you're talking about this Jesus person? And look at what it says. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, Peter is back full of fire and boldness and clarity so much so that people are like, who are these guys? What in the world inhabited them? What changed from a man that was broken, denying Jesus, to all of a sudden, he's a man on fire. Now, he actually gets thrown in prison. And then after he gets released from prison, check out what happens. On their release from prison, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, when they heard that everyone was persecuting them now, telling them that they were going to die for their faith, telling them that they were stupid, that they were imbeciles, that somehow, why in the world were you following Jesus? When, when, he, when they heard this news, look at what happens. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, Lord, consider their threats against me and please Give me, let me win the lotto so I can have a million dollars so I can escape this place. No, that's not, that's not what they pray. God, when they heard the threats against them, God, please help me, help me to raise good children so that my children could end up making a lot of money. And when they make a lot of money, they become my retirement plan and they can take care of me for the rest of my life and I can finally move to the Poconos. No, that's not what they prayed. When they heard their threats, they prayed, God, just please, like, it's a bad world out there. Just please protect me. Keep me and my family safe from everything out there. That's not what they prayed. God, please help me get that job that I always wanted. Please help me make as much money as I can. Now, I'm not trying to minimize if these are the prayers that you, I know these are some of the prayers that I've prayed. I'm just telling you, like when I get anxious, that's where my prayers go. But can you imagine here Peter is and John and they're basically like, now, God, we've been released from prison. Consider their threats. And look at what it says. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Oh, snap. What? In the face of all of this pain and turmoil, they're like, God, give us more. More boldness. More fire. More hope more strength. See, now it makes sense why Peter would have written this. This is why he writes, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Let me hear you say living hope. We don't, have, we don't have a limping hope or a wilting hope, like a hope that just comes and goes based on what happens. He's writing to a group of people who are under intense persecution and hardship. And these are people that he's like, don't you see, we've got this living hope. We can be men and women on fire because of what? We have this living hope. We can stay encouraged in all kinds of circumstances. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. What changed? What changed from Simon Peter, who was broken and full of shame and wilting under his betrayal of Jesus, to now all of a sudden someone with great boldness, who's a man on fire, who's praying for even more. He's praying for more boldness, more power, more hopefulness. He's telling others there's this living hope that nothing in the world can stop. Not even Rome, not these armies, not their power. Nothing can stop this hope. What changed in Peter? His heart. And where did his heart change? It's because the resurrection really happened. The scriptures tell us that over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Jesus. What could possibly have changed Simon Peter from this broken, shameful man to all of a sudden being this man on fire? You know what changed him? He saw that Jesus really resurrected from the grave. And if Jesus really resurrected from the grave, with Jesus, there is always hope. High five your neighbor and say, with Jesus, there is always hope. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever moment where we feel like we're in utter despair, maybe something is happening to your child and you feel absolutely broken up and you're wondering how that your child is going to get better, or get clean. Maybe you're someone who, someone that you love has had a health issue and it's been so painful for you. Maybe it has been a financial situation or a job situation that's felt like a dead end and you feel absolutely hopeless. Maybe you're someone who's a parent of teenagers. That's it, that's it, you're a parent of teenagers, you know. (laughs) feeling kind of hopeless or maybe maybe you're a teenager with parents that's it that's it you know you're a teenager with parents kind of feeling kind of hopeless I know that for my life um, there were moments of just extreme hopelessness I remember when I first moved to the city and I was living on a friend's couch I had very little money and during that season I was interning at this church and 9-11 happens, totally disorients my whole life and journey. My, I, then I soon found out that my grandmother, who helped raise us, passed away, and then my uncle passed away. Um, and I was really wrestling with God, like, God, I don't, what is going on in the world? Have you ever been in situations like that where you felt utterly hopeless? I remember when my wife and I, we'd been praying about having uh, a child, and we had a miscarriage, and felt like 
God, where are you in the midst of what we thought was a, was a hope and a promise for us? During the pandemic, I remember we experienced in our home like this violent break-in, and then it was the rise of Asian Ameri- violence against Asian Americans and feeling utterly hopeless. You know, this is just my own life when I feel like I've lost hope. The reality is every single one of us, because what it means to be human is there are moments when we feel incredibly discouraged and we lose hope. See, but the news of Jesus, because the resurrection really happened, was that with Jesus, there is always hope. Maybe, amen. Maybe you've been struggling with a depression or maybe it's been an addiction that's been hard to kick, whatever it might be. And here's the good news of today. The reason why God brought you here in this space today is so that you might know that with Jesus, there is always hope. When I was in college, uh, I was broke, didn't have much money, and there was a mentor of mine, and we were talking about this reality of with Jesus, there is always hope. And he, 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 he said this phrase to me that has stayed with me my entire life. He said, if God can raise the dead, God can raise the bread. In fact, turn to your neighbor, high five them, and say, if God can raise the dead, God can raise the bread. If God can raise the dead, God can raise the bread. For some of you, the bread is just showing up today. If God can raise the dead, somehow God brought you here today so that you might hear these words that of all the ways that your quiet desperation that we talked about, or of all the ways that we search for things to give us hope, whether it's throwing ourselves into whatever habit or addiction or throwing ourselves into Netflix or into whatever it might be, What if today the invitation was to throw ourselves into believing in the resurrected Jesus and to start believing that if God can raise the dead, that's right, God can raise the bread. I mean, this is what happened for Peter's life. He was able to witness the resurrected Jesus. What changed so that he went from being this broken, shameful person to all of a sudden being a person on fire, living with this living hope? What changed? If God can raise the dead, God can raise the bread. The Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And what he observed of people who survived the Holocaust that ended up being this persecution of Jews, he observed, look at what he says about the people who survived. He says, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man or woman but one thing. The last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. 
to choose today whether today we can be a people of hope. We can be a people who believe that if God can raise the dead, God can raise the bread. When it comes to our families, we come and we say, if God can raise the dead, God can raise the bread. When it comes to our financial situation, we can say, God, if God can raise the dead, God can raise, when it comes to our relationships, our marriages, our kids, if God can raise the dead, God can raise the bread. See, the earliest Christians knew this. That's why the Apostle Paul says, for to me, to live is Jesus, to die is gain. He says, whether in life or in death, I've got Jesus. And because I've got Jesus, I've got everything. Amen. See, but this is what Jesus himself would say, right? Because look at what Jesus himself would say. He would say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he will live. Why? Because when we place our faith in Jesus, not on ourselves, not in our family members, not in these other places, not in our accolades, not in our bank accounts, but when we place our faith in Jesus, we can live with a holy swagger, a boldness, a new kind of life, believing that if God can raise the dead, God can raise the bread.